Hi guys, I'm Brad Montgomery and welcome to The Breakdown. And here we talk about science, psychology, and investing. Today we're going to talk about growing and maintaining healthy lawns here in the borderline. Before we get started, if you missed any of our past conversations, you can catch any of our episodes at kfoxtv.com forward slash The Breakdown and listen along on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now, let's break it down. And I'm here with Denise S. Rodriguez, the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension. And Denise, we're going to be talking about grass in the borderland. So yes. how do we pull this off? <laughs> yes. and, and we're going to talk about a lot of areas, too, to maybe we can learn some things to make our lives a little bit easier, a little bit less stressful, uh, especially when it comes to maybe some of the summertime heat that we deal with here in the borderland and occasionally the winter cold as well. So one thing that that generally if you decide you want an area of grass or some grass i think a lot of people are not a lot of people necessarily i've seen some people that are trying to reduce the size of their lawns you know which isn't a bad idea when it comes to water usage of course but what what are some of the grasses that can make for a good full lawn in our hotter climate perfect so Great question. Um, the number one choice for any warm season grass is going to be Bermuda grass. Okay. So those come, there's, you know, common Bermuda that you kind of see growing in cracks of sidewalks. It will kind of grow against any of the natural, <laughs> natural elements, yeah. if you will. Uh, but there's also some other low growing hybrid Bermuda grass seed as well. It's really readily available, whether by seed or by sod. Okay. So Bermuda is going to be your number one choice. Uh, second to that is the Zoiza. Okay. grass as well same characteristics as bermuda grass it's just a little shade tolerant because okay. that's a lot of issues with people because they want not just green grass at their feet they also want big shade trees mm. to cover oh. them as well so right. there's kind of a balance on there so so is yeah the only one that kind of all competes bermuda is that it's a little more shade tolerant and i, I think are, are there some newer maybe strains of bermuda that are they don't have the runners i guess like Yes. So, yeah, so the common Bermuda grass or Bermuda grass in general grows like above ground, mm -hmm. right? So it has the tassels. Yes. And then it also has the runners that are all along the soil yeah. line. And then it has like, you know, the stolons as well. It's underground as well. And it kind of pops up, right? Mm -hmm. That's why it's really aggressive. Um, and it's uh, so that those are the common Bermudas. But the hybrid Bermudas are going to be lower to the ground they won't necessarily need to mow them as often and they won't tassel which kind of like adds to like more of a messy it does yeah yeah, yeah. get cut again yeah yeah gotta cut that yes and and so, and that was the one here i guess those two zoiza is it called yes uh -huh. bermuda they're, they're a little more right. drought tolerant less water yes and common things for bermuda that you'll see in grass seeds will be like sahara or other you know princess mm -hmm. are different types as well so those are kind of good options for us um and like i said you can certainly uh select those by seed or by sod and that's just a difference on like what your personality is, what your time is like, and what your patience is like as well. So, yeah. Yeah, Bermuda is interesting because um, for the longest time, and it's good to know that there are some strains that have you know, fewer runners that, that go out because it used to be you could have a nice full lawn, but you also had it in your flower bed. You right. also had it in, like you said, the cracks of the sidewalk. <laughs> the one There's one that's in the crack of the driveway Yeah. that I've been battling for, I don't know, two years now, and I, it's winning. 
Almost like a speed bump by this time. Yeah, right? <laughs> you literally just get trimmed back. I've tried spraying it. I've tried, you know, but so, but it's good, I guess, in the sense that it will take here and it will grow here in an area that you want. Um, when do lawns go dormant here in the borderland? Because I guess, which is kind of a good time, you get a little break on your water bill too. Right. So when do they typically start to wind down and, and when can you start maybe watering them less? Yeah, absolutely. So about October, early November is where pretty much those Bermuda grass lawns are just going to start dying out. I should backtrack on that and not say dying they're going to go into dormancy as well because they're not going to die during the winter time so you really have from like april to october where that's going to be your peak season we're going to do some things at the beginning of the season in the middle to maintain and then kind of close down for the season now it's important that you also also if people wanted to include they could have your around green grass uh, which are to supplement your existing bermuda lawn with some cool season grass Winter, what's it called? Winter? Like winter rye. Winter rye. And that's what you'll see in a lot of like athletic fields where yeah. they'll have year-round uh, grass during the cool season on there. And their growing pattern is completely opposite of Bermuda. So how, how would that work? You just... Do they just sprinkle the seed over yeah. it? And, okay. Yeah, you could just sprinkle the seed. Sometimes in larger areas, they'll actually pump it in with water and nutrients to kind of like form like a kind of a thick mulch, like, like pasty green? type yeah, thing. Yeah, so they'll be able to do that as well. Um, I preferred if you're going to have a Bermuda grot grass a lawn mm-hmm. you want to make sure you kind of take a break um it's not just um for water conservation because that's really important that i know that we'll talk about today but also just a way to, if you're not using it if you don't really need it then why put in those resources True. to that so yeah and so and, and let's talk about the the dormancy and so they kind of come to life i guess what i've noticed they, they like the warmer nights it's, right. it's really they don't and, and we with our elevation we still cool off at night Right. Um, at least because my Bermuda, I actually started over the, over the over the years. I used to start watering when the days got warm mm-hmm. and I was just watering weeds and right. the Bermuda wasn't doing anything. And the weeds would get this great head start. Right. And so then I stopped doing that. I started watering it in like mid April, early May. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that's when the Bermuda would really start to to catch a little bit better. Yeah. That time. Bermuda is really dependent on soil temperatures, believe it or not. Okay. So it's not just the air temperature, but the soil temperature. Yeah, so when we hit 65 degrees of the soil temperature, then that's going to trigger that for, to reemerge and break that dormancy. And and what should you do? Like, what are, what are some of the things that, that you should do once it starts warming up? Yeah, absolutely. So like you mentioned, like if you water before that Bermuda grass comes out of dormancy, that weeds get a head start. Well, one thing that you can do is even get like a, a light uh, leaf a rake and kind of run that over through the lawn that's really going to get rid of that old and dried off grass as well and that's going to allow for a couple of things to happen it's going to allow for not just water but also to for sun to infiltrate there too so if you remove that dead layer of grass dried up grass that kind of stuff that stuck to the bottom of your shoe or your pant legs (laughs) and gets in your house remove that out that's really going to help uh, that grass Um, kind of accept that water and what are some things that you can you know for for a healthier lawn are there anything anything you want to add to the soil or is there kind of a different way that you kind of approach it with a lawn just mainly through fertilizers or how does that work okay so we're gonna have to look at a lot of things the variables right are you establishing a new turf are you trying to maintain 
as so long let's as start with maintaining your, your existing yeah okay so your existing uh grass lawn um you want to make sure that you do you remove like that old organic matter from the the plant uh, from the area itself now you can put some supplemental fertilizer and we'll talk about fertilizer as well you want to start that early in the season so if the if the grass is actively growing, it's going to be able to take up that those nutrients from that fertilizer. Okay. So you want to go ahead and start your fertilizer program as well. That's a couple of things. Um, um, one thing to really maintain and to outcompete those weeds that kind of encroach because yeah. you think, oh my goodness, the grass is coming out. Well, no, that's actually clumps of like crabgrass yes. or the dandelions are popping up over here, right? So because those guys sprout earlier, you want to remove them as quickly as possible. They're easy to spot, right? Because yes. nothing else is growing around them. So physically remove them, take them out. In the case of like dandelions or broadleaf weeds, you want to make sure that you don't allow them to flower because yeah, then they're going to seed and it's going to kind of like multiply your problem as well. So essentially, if you are watering the grass and you're fertilizing the grass, it's by naturally going to outcompete the weeds. Wow. There's not going to be that that extra water or those nutrients just hanging around there. And uh, these weeds are going to be opportunistic and kind of like start encroaching onto your lawn. So the strong lawn. lawn can kind of fight them off. Yes, actually. absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I've noticed that uh, some neighbors, they keep it a little bit taller. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And they don't have any issues with weeds getting in there. So I guess they yeah. can't get, a, get down in there and right. try to compete with it. And that's a great and that's a great point that you bring up, too, because when we talk about mowing and maintaining the lawn, um, you want to make sure that you really adhere to the one third rule. And that means you don't want to remove more than one third of those blades of the lawn okay. itself. So what happens is that if you water uh, water, excuse me, if you uh, mow that grass too close to the uh, soil surface, yeah. you're essentially scalping mm-hmm. um, the grass, and then essentially that's going to be able. It's going to be more susceptible to drought or to insects or to fungal problems as well. So you're just only adding more problems to that. So it dries out quicker on you. It dries out quicker on you. It's not easier to like bounce back and recover. And you know, sometimes we've all been kind of guilty of like leaving town and going on vacation during the summer months, and then all of a sudden you come back and a week has passed, and then the grass seems to be out of control. And you're like, well, I'm just gonna like cut it all down right. because <laughs> whack it all back. And then like it turns like yellow. It looks kind of gross there for a while. It takes a long time for it to bounce back. So just really. Uh, you know, frequent light cuts okay, on there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, don't just shave it all the way down. Yeah. Okay. And and now I want to pivot to what you brought up, which is really interesting, and it's actually I think it'll be helpful to a lot of people. If you, and especially here in a desert, or not well, semi-arid technically, but if you are establishing like a new lawn, okay, mm-hmm. so you're doing, let's say you're doing, let's take let's take it two part. Let's take sod and let's take seed. Okay. If you're doing sod. I know you can't let it dry out. I know that's that's one of the things. So so how does how does it work? What are some of the keys to get sod established, successfully established? Okay. So the first thing is you want to have a good relationship with your nursery person. Okay. <laughs> okay? Right. So you want to kind of time when you're going to get that sod. If they're going to get a delivering, you're going to you're a true do it yourself or like you're going to load up your, you know, back of your truck and then like <laughs> just take care of that. Yeah. You want to make sure you time that when they get that from the sod farm. Okay. Okay. So as quickly, basically as fresh as you can get. It. Yes, because we've all seen those pallets in the front of the it's garden center, and they're up. all like curled up yep. and dried out. Like you just really kind of feel bad about it, because uh, anyway. So time that out 
when they're going to get their delivery so that you can make your order and do your pickup okay. with them, okay? Um, establishing sod is great for people that um, want that quick green, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be patient, but you got to do some things before you get that order in and those pallets in, right? A lot of times in our soil, um, the best thing you can do is add a high phosphorus soil, a high phosphorus, excuse me, a high phosphorus fertilizer. That high phosphorus fertilizer is going to help with root establishment. So essentially, you're going to lay that in your area that you're going to prepare. So you're going to hopefully have your sprinkler system already set up. You're going to be able to level out that soil and then you're going to add that fertilizer in. It's a great way, a great time to be able to test your sprinkler system, make sure that everything's nice and covered, covered. (laughs) and then you can are able to put in that uh, sod. And the sod should be placed um, kind of like in a brick pattern. So you don't want those seams to be here. You want to become be staggered, so offset. Like if you, I guess, like a way you could lay tile, if you will. So those you want to reduce the number of seams, if you will. So by having that, that's going to be able to help um, establish and not stress out the sod itself. Sod, I mean, that's that could be backbreaking work, right? (laughs) So you need to make sure that uh, you you plan accordingly uh, and that you're able to calculate how much that you need out from there as well. And even though it's going to have its own root system, it's going to be a really shallow root system as well. So no matter if you do sod or you do seed, you want to make sure that when you do irrigation, you get that deep, those deep irrigations so that you can have a nice root system. Mm-hmm. Get, get those roots down into the ground. Now, now let's. How does that? Let's pivot real quick to seed. Yeah. How does that work? Okay, so seed. You have to pack your patience. Okay. It's gonna take a while. Keep the birds away. Keep the birds <laughs> away. <laughs> a lot of the seed is, that we have is like either your nature tax, <laughs> right? Your nature tax, right? Exactly. You have to be really be patient on there. The last time that I seeded a lawn, which is my own personal lawn, uh, maybe like five, six years ago. Yeah. Um, we had it all set up. Everything was ready. We were all good to go through the seed out there. And it, it comes like um, kind of mulch. So it's like the seeds are kind of like within like little straw. Oh, okay. So you, you buy as many pounds as the square footage of your lawn is, right? So you do that calculation. Pretty easy. Figure out how much you need. You start throwing it out. And then we had a cold snap. Oh, a lake. No. So I was sitting there and I was waiting. So that's where I had to pack my patience right, right. and kind of just make sure I was diligent about giving a nice little irrigation on there. And now in this case, it's contrary to what I always recommend is I wanted to put and had to put a lot of shallow irrigation because that seed was essentially sitting on top oh, of the soil. True. Like you don't want to bury it. Right, right. It's not going to come out. Like you just want to sprinkle it on top. So you have to go over that, you know, very often to make sure that number one it's staying in place right. you don't want it to blow away yeah, the water keeps it yeah. yeah exactly so you kind of keep it anchored in there and then you want to make sure that as it's germinating it doesn't dry out so it was pretty intense it's kind of spotted there for a while uh but yeah we just got over that and and we're, we're good we're good to go and it's stressful <laughs> yeah so. well that was before yeah my first house I, we did the sod okay you know but yeah with age or my back you know it's right. gonna be See. a different <laughs> now it's all about seed <laughs> yeah that's a good that's a good point so and and as far as um once your lawn is established we're looking at just basically and there's always this big debate here and I, i've heard it kind of split two different ways yeah. so I mean, like back east they always say 
and basically the middle of the country eastward or more you're under, under the influence of more essentially gulf of mexico moisture right so more humidity uh persistent humidity especially overnight early mornings they say we don't want to water late at night because y'all you promote fungus you promote this or that but then i've heard other people say well in our area I've heard both schools of thought, right? And, and the opposing school of thought for our area and the reasoning was, well, we're generally drier, mm -hmm. so we don't, it's not as much of an issue. And so, so where, where do you kind of fall on that as far as watering for the borderland? So especially on lawns, uh, what I like to do is promote those early morning waterings, okay. okay? So even though we say, oh, we don't have that persistent relative humidity, no matter what, the sun sets, the temperatures dip, the relative humidity goes Especially up. Especially over the lawn. Yeah, you know that, right? Especially, yeah. and then you're going to be in a protected area. You're going to be like surrounded by rock Plants, walls yeah, and, right. you know, other planting beds, other structures as well. So you're creating a high humidity level area. And sometimes the, you can feel it. Yeah. When you go in your backyard. Oh, absolutely. It's not windy and it can't mix out. You yeah. Feel that well, that's why it also makes it so pleasant to be outside. Yeah, the you know, it, it, or anytime, even on the evening time, because the sun sets and it kind of gets cool. Oh, that's cool. True. Yeah. 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 And it cools us off, there. unlike other parts of the country where, like, you go outside, you're not going to get cooled off no matter how late it is uh, at night. So, yeah. So, and real quick yeah. on that, there's <laughs> school behind me. They will water sometimes. My next door neighbor told me yeah. you'll feel the cool air coming <laughs> right. off the school because they'll run the spring. And it's true. Yeah. It's kind of like a giant evaporative cooler. You're, it's funny. You're, you're downdraft for that. So <laughs> I like the early morning irrigations for your lawn okay. for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, it doesn't matter how hot or dry or how humid. Um, leaves don't want to get wet and they don't want to stay wet. Oh, okay. And those leaves are anything, whether it's a rose bush or even a, a blade of grass okay. as well. So by watering early morning, you're going to allow, hopefully you're watering enough to be able to have that water, not just get to the soil surface, but also penetrate into the soil surface. Um, but then it's also with the temperatures increasing, the sun's coming up, you're going to have that evaporative um, effect the on the leaves itself. So they're not staying wet. Another thing about that is that you're more than willing or more than likely, I should say, to be awake in the morning time so that you'll be able to hear if there's a sprinkler break or there's something that the head has popped off and it's like hitting up against the side of your house or right. things like that because that goes back into water conservation. So kind of think about that. I like the early morning. Can you get away with the evening? Mm, yes, you could, but if you had a choice, and I hope you have a, a sprinkler system and a box and a timer, I'd set it to the morning. Okay, okay, so morning morning waterings. But I'm, uh, thank you for the breakdown on that, because literally for us, I've heard kind of the, the standard argument and then the occasional opposing argument, so much appreciated on that. Is there a size of lawn that you kind of recommend for people? I mean, if you've got a yard, is there like a percentage that you want to have as as lawn but not go too crazy with it like from wall rock wall to rock <laughs> wall and then all the way back you know right is there is just for you know water conservation is there is there any anything out there on that yet or not not so much so i think it's important that we talk about um like there's not a one size fits all okay, okay? so we want to make sure that you set your own priorities as a homeowner um you know do you have uh, pets? Do you have children? Are they going to get use of that lawn? Well, in, in cases, yes, absolutely. So you want to make sure that you have enough of that green space out there for them to frolic, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's one thing to consider. Um, the second thing to consider is also really how much time and energy you want to put into 
maintaining the lawn because that is probably <laughs> one of the <laughs> the bigger it is if you got wyoming right you're gonna be out there for a while yeah absolutely so kind of think about that too do you want to spend every saturday morning you know mowing that that lawn think about that think about also uh the expense that you're gonna have in water is one thing but also you know mowers and storing storing all of your equipment to be able to do that too you know so uh, or paying a lawn service uh that's also pricey too so when things you know you just have to kind of weigh those different options and as typical full-size backyard i would say no more than a thousand square feet it's for like an average family for okay. it's really what i think you know can you go less can you go more? yes you could but it's really what your preference is and if you're if you're a gardener you want to bring in other species as well not just the lawn True. So then you got enough for the pets or the kids. Right. And if I'm sorry, one more thing before, if uh, you had a choice and you also want to think about the location of that. Uh, If you don't hang out in your front yard and you just kind of use that and drive into your garage, don't don't put a lawn out there. You know, so make your oasis the area that you're going to spend the most time in. Most people use it as a patio. They have an outdoor kitchen or your grill or your swing set or whatever you may have in your backyard. So kind of keep. Those water resources in the back leave the front to more of a Xerix native native landscape. That works really, yeah, that's very smart. Okay, now really quickly, one thing I want to touch on too, um, because this is going to be a big one, and this is one I, I actually have a question for. I know, <laughs> I bet some people, when it comes to fertilizer, I just throw it out there whenever, right. you know, whenever I think about it, I just throw it out there. For me, last year, I, I, I'm a little bit guilty that last year. I just kind of threw it out. I, I forgot about it, and I threw it out there, and I remembered it. And then I think I did it kind of late in the year. But I was like, well, you know, our falls have been running a little bit longer, warmer. So I end up being not too big of a deal. But when when is the the best times to fertilize? And, and what should you be using? I think you had mentioned it uh, one of the better fertilizers, fertilizers for lawns and trees. Yeah, so when you... so really important before we start talking about like fertilizer because this keeps people like me in business i'm not in business but you know uh employed employed it's gonna be uh we didn't feed products okay Okay, so we talk about that we want to make sure that when we're looking for fertilizer we want to make sure that as we're in those aisles we want to make sure that we avoid the weed and feed and i'll explain why okay yes that's what i use so yeah so weed and feed you have to really be aware of that is it's going to kill almost everything that it comes into contact with right so it's not just going to kill um it can kill your broadleaf weeds but it can also kill other perennial plants as well it can also kill that established mulberry tree or that other ash tree that you have on there too because essentially what's happening under the soils all of these root systems are all kind of converging Mm -hmm. and they're going to intercept that as well so a lot of times what you see is herbicide damage on shade trees and homeowners are like um i didn't spray anything okay what did you put weed and feed oh yeah i because i had to take care of that on my bermuda grass Um, so you start seeing this happening even along the perimeter of your property line um because that those um, chemicals will yeah damage that as well so kind of keep that in mind um so that's why the one thing i always promote is to physically remove the seeds that are uh, weeds that are coming out in your lawn especially when your bermuda is dormant catch them early yeah catch them early take them out on there or worst case scenario you want to spot treat them 
with a specific herbicide that's going to target either a grassy weed or a broadleaf weed. I'm glad you told me that because I, I had mm-hmm. used the weed and feed mm-hmm. and the pecan trees in the, in, the, in the lot. Yeah. And it didn't even cross my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of keep that in mind uh, going forward um, on there. And then um, when you talk about um, fertilizers, a lot of times they have our slow release fertilizers or rapid release on there. So you want to use the rapid release when the plant is actually growing. So that lawn is growing, it's vigorous. It's, you know, taking up a lot of water and nutrients, get that stuff so that you can get that nitrogen in there quickly and we don't have issues. Uh, it makes it green, right? Yeah, it makes it green. Yeah. Yes. And then the slow release fertilizer is going to be pelletized. It's going to be like little pellets. Uh, fertilizer kind of like encased in little plastic shells. It's going to take a long time for that to break down. Okay. So usually we really don't recommend that. You want to hit uh, your grass and your lawn fertilizer when it's actively yes. growing. Yeah. So once it's established, it's growing for the season about May. And then you can do, you can uh, fertilize every month. Okay. Um, I would tend to skip June, maybe July, only because June it's really hot. It's right before our, our monsoon monsoon season kicks in, and I mean it can get yeah dangerously hot if you don't wa- if you don't water that in as well. So you're gonna skip it, skip it right there, but then hit it again once those monsoons come in. Mm-hmm. Those uh, temperatures kind of. Uh, yeah, humidity up. comes up. Yeah. It's a little bit more. Yeah. And so basically late spring, mm-hmm. skip early summer. And then hit it again in the fall because that last application of the fall is going to help you not just uh, to grow that. Um, it doesn't have just nitrogen. It also has phosphorus as well. And that's going to give you the leg up for that following spring. Okay. So uh, you're going to bank in the fall so it can help you and reward you in the spring and okay. be able to fight off those weeds. Some of the weeds. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Great information. <laughs> thank you very much, Denise. Sure. Uh, Denise S. Rodriguez, Texas A&M Ag Extension. Thank you again for coming. Always a pleasure. If you enjoyed this conversation, make sure to comment, subscribe, and share it with your friends. You can check out our past archive of episodes on kfoxtv.com under the community tab or listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for breaking it down with me, and we'll see you next time here on The Breakdown.